When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. All right, OU stuff. Colton Bassett commits, and we give you our biggest question marks for OU football heading into training camp. Then West Virginia head coach Neil Brown joins us for an awesome interview, and we finish up with our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hosty, will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, August 3rd, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of August, you can just go to riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this Wednesday morning, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Ted, do you smell it? You smell it? Smells it smells like football, doesn't it? It smells like football. Trading camp starts Friday for the Oklahoma Sooners. Do you feel like you are you missing something? Do you have that sense of like, I, I'm supposed to be somewhere? Get the anxiety. Uh, this time of year, whenever I'm starting to see everyone reporting to camp, I, I feel like I'm it's almost like I felt like I slept in, missed the alarm, and I'm supposed to be somewhere. There's like a panic that sets in. The good thing is all the grass is burned up everywhere, so you don't get the the fresh cut grass smell because that's what really triggers it. That will take you back. Yeah. Right? That smell, you're just like, oh, oh, and then you start getting nervous, and you're like, what is happening to my body right now? What's, what's going on? I'm supposed to be walking through a, a dew-filled practice field getting my feet soaking wet before i even start to practice that's how it's supposed to work getting getting miserable before it starts exactly okay before we dive into our biggest question marks for ou heading into training camp and this may be a first in the history of the podcast 
I think we have to start with the recruiting. Mm-hmm. It's been because wild. Colton Vasek, am I saying that right? Yeah. Colton Vasek, 6'6", 230-pound edge player. He's the 140, 153rd overall ranked player in the class of 2023, has committed to Oklahoma. And, Ted, this whole thing kind of came out of nowhere, man. Everyone thought this guy was choosing between Oregon and Texas and gets to the party at the Palace last weekend and commits right after. Whoa. Yeah. It's crazy. They What they're doing works. The way they build these relationships works the way they um, have set up everything, not just football-wise, the sole mission. The parents love that, speaks directly to the parents. I know everyone is panicked about the, you know, don't commit here if you're going to want to still take trips everywhere else, right? All of that stuff. The, the staff is genuine. They're real. They tell you what the expectations are tell you how difficult this is going to be and the kids are eating it up they love it they love people that are real that you believe what comes out of their mouth and they they're telling you what their expectations are for you yeah there's no doubt that the message this staff is presenting and relaying is is landing with these with these players and their parents and You look at what they're starting to do on the defensive side of the ball from a recruiting perspective. There's no doubt that Brent Venable's reputation plays a huge role in that. I mean, there's absolutely no doubt. But looking at Vasek committing, you got to give Miguel Chavis an unbelievable amount of credit. You got to give that man the credit he deserves because he's never been a position coach. He's never coached a game at Oklahoma as the defensive end coach. This defensive staff has not coached a single game as, you know, for Oklahoma. And Chavis was able to convince a big time recruit who played at a school that that players just never go to OU there at Austin Westlake, whose dad played at Texas. He convinced that guy. And if you just look at Vasek, the guy looks like he should go to Texas. I mean, when you look at the (laughs) hair, it's just, you're like, yeah, that kind of looks like a Texas guy. All of that was working against Miguel Chavis. And he attacked the recruitment with passion and energy. And he got him. Now, I I know he's still got a sign in December. I understand that. But for him... To go get that guy with all those things working against him, it it makes you think that Miguel Chavis is going to be an absolute superstar as a defensive ends coach. Yeah, and here's the thing that I think is the most impressive. This, this is organic recruiting. This is not NIL-driven recruiting. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, staffs out there that are like, it's, it's NIL. Here's like, here's what we have for you. Here's what we'll do. 
and and I'm not saying that Oklahoma isn't isn't prepared to do stuff like that, but that's not their their go to message, right? And there's a lot of schools that this is their end, right? This is the way that they can compete with the big boys, and the NIL stuff is like top of the list for a bunch of a bunch of schools. It's not for OU, like we're working on it. We're, we've got things in store. We've got stuff coming. There's going to be great opportunities here, but I, it's not the, it's not the go-to situation. When you call Venables and talk to Venables, I, that's not where the conversation's going. And if it goes there first and foremost, guess what? You're going to the back of the list. That's not what they're looking for. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's so impressive that they're putting this type of class together when they haven't even coached a single game. No, that's and you and I, we thought that this class could be, you know, they, I, we didn't think it was going to be a struggle, but probably, you know, top 15 type class because they didn't have any tape to show guys or, you know, really a proof of concept at Oklahoma. We were wrong, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad we were wrong in the, in the, Wrong in the right direction, you know. Correct. It's it's crazy. And here's the thing: there are other really, really good recruits that OU feels really, really good about. And if they land the guys that they feel like they've got a good chance at landing, there's a chance that Oklahoma can be maybe as high as the second ranked recruiting class. Uh, whenever it's all said and done, if they land all of these guys, they, they've got commitments and we've been around long enough to know that it, it ain't good until the ink is on the, uh, on the paper. But here's the other thing, even if they don't land all of the guys that they feel like they're going to the current guys that they have committed right now, it's going to get even better. I just like thinking about it. Uh, Vosick is the 153rd overall ranked player. I think by the time it's all said and done, he's going to be higher than that. Right. Same thing with Adabare. Adabare was three-star a couple of months ago. Now he's a high four-star. I think there's a chance the kid earns a five-star before it's all said and done. Uh, like Pachati's a three-star backer. I see a lot of backers in my life out of high school. That kid is not a three-star linebacker, and he's going to IMG. He's going to have a four-star. Like So even the guys that they have right now, I think those rankings are going to continue to climb. And we've already seen that for a lot of guys. When when you look at – and I'm not going to pretend I'm a recruiting expert, right? But I cannot remember, especially along the defensive front, right? Defensive tackle and at the edge position. I can't remember – being this excited about a potential OU recruiting class at that at those positions. And and just just looking at the guys that are committed, right? Not David, DJ Hicks. Does he go by David or DJ? We need to figure out. I I've heard DJ so let's just call him DJ then. DJ yeah. Hicks, who top defensive tackle in the country, right? Who OU feels really good about landing. Now and a lot of people think he's the best player in the class. Right. So Arch you've got Manning him included. And, I mean, we haven't even, you know, Derek LeBlanc committed uh, this. Is it Vasek or Vasek? We got to pick one. I said Vasek. You said uh, Vasek. I think it's Vasek. 
We'll go with Vasek for now. We'll correct it. If Mr. and Mrs. Vasek want to correct us, that would be uh, that'd be fantastic. Please help. But just looking at the group they have committed right now, it's a really solid group. You add Hicks to that, and oh my goodness. And I, you look at just the combination of edge players, right? Adabare and Vasek. That's about as physically imposing of a duo of edge rushers that I can remember OU having in a recruiting class. Six four, so, six six, and like Vasek, his dad having played, he's got the pedigree, and he's a D line coach. And when you watch him play you can tell that he's already got some of the techniques that are a little bit unnatural for high school kids when they get to the next level. He's already got some of those. Now, he plays high, 6'6", of course he does, but you know some of those, he's still got a lot of room for improvement, but he's already got a really good grasp of, of the position, so it's amazing. Yeah, and physical. Yeah. Right? I mean, you, you watch the highlight tape, you, you see him slamming Jackson Arnold into the turf, and you're like, okay, all right. <laughs> So it is, man, it's exciting times right now at Oklahoma when it comes to recruiting. And it, it seems like with some of these commit, right? I know the Vickers kid making a decision here in the next couple of weeks, a couple other guys that they feel really good about making a, de a decision here in the new fu near future. So, man, it just feels, it feels really positive right now. And it, and it, it feels like it's only going to get better, man. Yeah. Well, one thing. This is what happens whenever you embrace change. For whatever reason, the last regime did not want to mention, talk about, acknowledge that OU was going to the SEC. For whatever reason, it was like a taboo topic. Like you don't even, like don't bring it up. Let's not talk about that. As soon as Venable, like in his introductory speech, he's talking about going to the SEC. And I think that has a lot to do with some of these defensive players coming. For the longest time, if you're going up against these SEC schools in recruiting, they hold it over your head that the Big 12 doesn't send defensive players to the NFL. They just don't do it. Like you can't go there if you want to go to the league. And by actually talking about it, and be willing to say that we're going, we're preparing to go, we're making that jump, you're going to be a part of us making that transition, I think that's helped get those defensive guys on board. Yeah. No, I I completely agree. Them embracing that, uh, they're using it to their advantage. There's no doubt. But they've got the sixth-ranked class right now in the 24-7 sports composite and – it's going to take some time for me to get used to OU landing big-time defensive recruits. Every time I see I'm like, wait, what? What? So I just give me time, Ted. And I think I'll become more comfortable and more used to it. Well, they're already considered to be the favorite for the next year's number one defensive lineman. Um, and I think, I think either two more five-star D lineman or one more five-star and a high four-star D lineman for next year's class. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. There's a, there's a reason that the negotiations over Todd Bates were, uh, you know, lasted a, quite a while. Yeah. 
Okay, let's let's talk training camp and a, a little information, a reminder that you know some of the training camp rules they changed them, right? So the acclimatization, acclimatization, acclimatization period. It used to be five days, now it's seven days. So those first two practices and OU's first two practices will be Friday and Saturday. Those are helmets and jerseys and what you call kind of spider pads, right? You you cannot wear shoulder pads. But then your next four practices can only be in shells, which is helmets and shoulder pads. So OU actually won't go full pads until next Thursday with how with how the new NCA rules are. So there is a there's a buildup to this thing, but that doesn't mean we still shouldn't be really, really excited. I know. Um, That's a crazy buildup. That's so, I I don't want to get hung up on something that doesn't matter, but that's so stupid. If you're, if it's going to take you a week to be able to get acclimated to what you are, are playing football in, well, then you need to be able to wear some of that stuff in summer workouts to eliminate that. I'm not even going to attempt the word. You know what I'm saying? Acclimatization. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> yeah, you, you've got to like, – you shouldn't have to go a week into training camp. You don't have that much time. shouldn't take a week into training camp to be able to go to full pads. Although, you know as well as I do. Helmet, shoulder pads, and shorts is full pads. And I ask any lineman, we'd rather just have pads on because you you come out of those first two days of camp and you just have bruises like all over your chest yep. from other human beings putting their face mask into your body. You're just it's awful. Just give us Dumb. the pads to start, please. It's dumb. It's what happens when people that either don't didn't play the sport or haven't played the sport in a really long time make the rules yeah so they'll be from what i understand uh thursday's report day friday and saturday they'll be in jerseys and helmets sunday because remember now with the new rules you got to give them an off day so i'm assuming sunday will be their off day they'll go monday tuesday wednesday in shells so that's helmets and shoulder pads and then thursday is when they're able to put pant pads on. So Get there is a, and you can't, you can't have more than two full padded practices in a row. So there's, there's some rules, right. And they've reduced, you know, the amount of contact. There's like a 75 minute limit on full contact for a practice. There's all kinds of rules, but I'm sure they will follow them to the T as, as OU always tends to do, but that's enough of what it's going to look like. Biggest questions heading into training camp for OU. Um, We did this last year. It was a fun conversation. We're going to do it again. Do you want to start on offense or defense? Or do you want to alternate? How do we want to do it? Let's just, let's fire away on offense. Okay. Get the ball rolling here. Uh, What is, what are, give me your first big question for offense. It's, it's offensive line. It's specifically tackle. And I'm not going to say that's my only question on offense. There's there's other things, but the priority level pretty much everywhere else for me is really low. Offensive line, 
really, really high. I'm with you. And I just, I can't get what BV said at Big 12 Media Days to me out of my mind. I asked him about the position battles, right? And Tyler Guyton was the first guy that he mentioned. So when you think about that battle to be an offensive tackle, be a starting offensive tackle. Now remember, Beanbo, he's had no issues playing multiple guys over these last couple seasons, you know, getting guys snaps if they have earned them in practice. But can Tyler Guyton beat out Anton Harrison or Wanya Morris? Can Savion Bird put everything together and challenge to be a starter? What about Aaron Parks? Right, that, that was a guy that was taking reps with the ones in spring practice. So I, I think that that out of all the position battles on offense, offensive tackle is, is the most interesting. I, I really believe that. And I think that it is very much an open competition. Uh, we assume that Harrison and Morris are going to be the guys, but I don't think those guys have those jobs locked down. Uh, I really think that whether it's Bird or Guyton or Parkside, I, I think someone can go and take it. And I'm interested to see if that happens. Yeah. Venables came on my radio show yesterday. And I asked him about position battles. And the first one he talked about was offensive tackle. And I thought it was really interesting the way he answered it. He talked about Harrison. And, you know, it's the same thing that you said all last year is he Venables has said he has to be consistent. You can't have you can't have flashy plays here and there and then you know just be up and down. You got to be consistent. You've got to be a, an every single snap kind of guy. And then he talked to Wanye Morris and very direct again. Wanye Morris needs to get the most out of his potential. Like he needs to squeeze everything that he has out of his athletic ability. And he said he's had a great summer and he's working on that. But those two guys, very direct in, um, you know, criticism, whatever you want to say, that things that they want to work on, very direct. So, I, you know, I think that that's going to be the spot to watch on offense. And the good, th good thing is there's – don't you feel good about the depth there, at least guys that are competing for the starting jobs? Yeah, for sure. I, I do. Uh, especially not only, like, I feel good about the level of talent there. I, I think I feel better about it this year than I did last year, just from the conversations I've had. But the one thing I like about that entire situation is every one of those guys, they know the jobs are essentially up for grabs, right? So, you know, sometimes you go into camp and you're you're a backup and you're like, man, do I really have a chance to win a job, get on the field? Tyler Guyton and Aaron Parks and Savion Burt, yeah. So they better have that attitude and bring it to the practice field for training camp because I'll tell you right now, man, Bill Beatonbow will play whoever he can trust. Mm -hmm. He will. He will stick the guy out there who he knows what he's going to get from. He can live with that. He's not, he does not want the ups and downs. So if 
Harrison and Morris aren't showing a level of consistency that is satisfactory to Beatenbow, don't be surprised, man. I'm just telling you now, we'll see how it goes for that entire group. But yeah, that's gonna be that'd be a fun one to keep tabs on, man. And it's a it's clearly an important position, also. Yeah. And one more small note that I didn't think about until just now. Did you watch any of Venable's press conference yesterday? Watch the entire thing. One of the questions was interesting. And he just kind of like somewhat dismissed it but he but he really didn't someone asked about position changes are there going to be any position changes and at first he's like I don't, what do you mean he's like and all the guys on offense are still playing <laughs> offense all the guys yeah. on defense are still playing defense but then he said there you know there may be some moving guys from the outside to the inside and some things like that but as far as like Big time position changes. I don't think so. So, like when you start talking about tackle, like there's there's the potential maybe if a tackle battle's going really well, you got two guys that are playing really good, uh, and maybe you're not having the play that you want on the inside at guard. That we've seen Beanbow move those guys around into out and out to in. I I think Savion Bird would be a good guard. Yeah. I really do. Like if he if if he's a road grader. I mean, he just looks he looks well put together, right? So and he seems pissed off all the time, which is kind of a guard mentality, right? Yeah. Basically. Just <laughs> mad at the world. Yeah. I I think that's that's also something that that we need to keep track of because ultimately your goal is get your five best on the field that play well together. That's not always your five most talented. Mm -hmm. Get your five best that play well together. So we'll see. We'll see what it looks like, man. But that is the offensive tackle battle is going to be fun. My my question mark for offense. It's not. It's not very exciting. QB two. I, I know that it's not exciting until it is right. Yeah, I. I know that we're all excited about what Dylan Gabriel can be in Jeff Levy's offense. We all have high expectation, high expectations for him. We think he's going to produce at a high level, but the backup quarters quarterback situation is interesting. I mean, and I think that Levy and that offensive staff, they're looking for a guy to separate himself from the others in training camp. I mean, there's no doubt that Gabriel's the starter, but between general booty and Davis Bevel and Nick Evers, those guys are going to be battling for that QB2 spot. And you never know what can happen in football, man. I mean, just ask Dylan Gabriel how last season went for him, right, with the collarbone. He can roll an ankle. He can get a stinger, whatever. Like, they will need the backup quarterback to make a play or two at some point in the season. So, I want to feel better about the backup quarterback situation when OU comes out of training camp. I want the coaching staff to feel better about it. So, whether it's Booty, Bevel, or Evers, one of these guys needs to outplay the others and make it crystal clear that they are QB2. Yep, I agree. And I think it's going to be Booty. 
I just I, I he, people have always said you're a big booty guy. I am. I am always have been. Uh he's he's got the pedigree. His his route to where he got at Oklahoma is a fascinating one. Just kind of how he flew under the radar as a high school recruit. Played at I think four different high schools. Um, you know, during the COVID period where coaches couldn't go out and see guys. So he just kind of just like I said, flew under the radar a little bit, but really athletic, really competitive, super tough. I think he's got a good chance to to fight for that number two spot. Yeah. It's gonna be it's good. I know it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but it is important. And and also that relationship between QB two and QB one is important. Right. Being able to support the starter. Like there is a, there's almost a therapist's role for the backup quarterback. So who emerges as that guy that will, that will be kind of the sounding board for Dylan Gabriel throughout the season that I I know that I know it's stupid, but it is important. It's so funny. A quarterback throws an interception and jogs off the field. There's the second quarterback going like, Hey, that wasn't on you that, you know, he ran the wrong route. You know, it wasn't yeah. a bad throw. <laughs> I, I saw the perfect example of that when I was in Detroit with Matthew Stafford and Dan Orlovsky. Dan was that guy for Stafford, right? He was his eyes on the sideline. He was the guy that he, that could speak the language and talk things through with with Stafford and it's important. I know it, it it's it's a boring conversation, but I do believe that that role of backup quarterback is important. Okay, you got any other big questions on offense? I got one more. Uh well, I think I don't have a question with how I think Camp's going to go. I think that um Gray's going to be the guy at running back. Uh, he's he's your most versatile. He's, you know, athletic got some uh, moves in the open field, obviously good catching the football. And I think that he's going to be the guy, but Venables continues to make it a point to talk about Marcus major. And, you know, I, I don't know if, I don't know if he has a chance to carve out a starting role, but I think he has a chance to, to be a, a heavy contributor. Big. They don't have another guy like him on the roster. Like he is, he's a muscle. He's a he's a bowling ball. He's built for running, you know, downhill, and that's what you want to do in this scheme. You want to stretch it and then turn it downhill while everyone's going lateral, and just and and and, and plow through the middle. Like so, I I think that there's a chance that Marcus Major can carve out a pretty nice role if you know he handles his business. Like and, and that's. You know, that's been a, a problem for him, frankly, up to this point. So I think the running back room is is interesting. Plus the young guys, Javante Barnes and Sawchuck, you know, have opportunities. Yeah, and let's not forget Bentavious Thompson. I mean, how does yeah. how does he fi- factor into all this, right? I know a couple members of the offensive staff really likes the way that he go he goes about his business. So that you're right, man. That running back room, especially that battle for RB two, is it's going to be interesting. Now, the last thing I have on offense is usually in training camp, there's there's a surprise wide receiver that kind of emerges where 
you know, they're coming out of the camp and the coaches are telling you and I, Hey man, this guy was making plays and, and we feel good about Mims and Stoops and Weiss. And I, I feel good about Farouk right now with everything we've heard about him, but who's going to be that surprise playmaker that emerges from camp, right? Could it be, is it going to be one of the transfers? J.J. Hester, L.V. Bunkley-Shelton. Uh, could it be one of the freshmen? in Jaden Gibson and Nick Anderson. I, I feel like that group of four, like one guy we're going to be hearing, man, yeah, that guy, he's he's going to help us. He's going to play a lot. I just don't know what guy that is right now. Yeah, and I think it's more likely this season than it typically is. Quarterback and wide receiver chemistry is huge. And quarterbacks always have their favorites. Well, Dylan Gabriel's never played a game with these guys, right? right? And so if you're a freshman or a transfer, you've got a, a way better opportunity than trying to, like, you know, fit your way into the group that's al- already kind of set. The hierarchy's already kind of there. It's it's not nearly as set. I know he's been to spring with some of these guys, um, but – I don't know. I I think that there's definitely going to be someone emerge, and the guy everyone was talking about early on in spring was Nick Anderson, right? right. That was the name until he, until he had um, some minor issue. That was that was the name. So if I had a a pick to click right now early on, I'd say Nick Anderson. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, let's move to the defensive side of the ball. This is your realm, man. What uh what questions you got? Can I go first? Yeah, go ahead. Just because you you won't you never brag on yourself and <laughs> it, I'm going to brag on you a little a little bit here. My biggest question for the defense is who will emerge at Mike Packer? Because I've seen it firsthand and talking to you, you lived it. BV puts so much on that position when it comes to directing traffic for the defense. I would like to see, and I kind of hate this term, but I would like to see an alpha emerge, whether it's Stutzman or Aguebu. I, I just think of what that position means and how the Mike Backer and BV's defense becomes kind of the figurehead of the defense. They need one of those guys to emerge as that guy and to emerge as the leader of that defense. And, I, and I'm not saying that both of them won't play, right? I think both Aguebu and Stutzman are extremely talented, athletic, gifted players, and they're, they're both going to play. But BB loves having that one guy that he feels like he can put everything on. And no one knows that better than you, man. Yeah, well, it's true, and it usually starts with uh, years of ridicule before you're there. And I, there's a method to the madness. You have to be able, you have to be able to handle that adversity. Number one, but number two, you have to know everything. You have to know everything. There, there's, there's teams. And there's defenses where if you're the if you're the best player, uh, the most athletic, and and you make a bunch of productive plays, but you screw up a bunch, I it's fine. I 
you could be the guy that had a lot of tackles but had eight mental mistakes, and no one really says anything because you're the most productive player. That does not happen with Venables. You will be ridiculed, ridiculed, embarrassed in front of your teammates, called out in front of everyone over and over and over until you know it. And you can't stand out and be a star when you're getting ridiculed constantly by your coach in front of everyone. So there's like this massive pressure to know everything. And once you get there and you know everything, you direct traffic and it's easy. And and you get everyone lined up and you know what's happening. You got the communication going on. So it works out really well. Now, who that's going to be, I don't know. Judging by the way he speaks to Stutzman, it's probably going to be him at some point. It's just a matter of, you know, how long does it take him to get there? Because that's, you're right. You know, you look at, you look at Mike and Will Backer. I don't know who the starters are going to be. I mean, and, and I think that there's, there's, um, there's definitely capable guys that can play both of those spots. And, I, I just I I feel good about whoever that combination is going to be, yeah. But it's no. definitely going to be critical. Like that's like not necessarily who wins the battle, but that someone does win it. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah, that someone emerges. Right. Yes. Right to be that guy, I think is uh, I like you said. I think it's critical. All right. What do you got? Defense. Biggest questions. Um. I think the big I, I feel I feel good about inside backer like as far as like as long as someone emerges like we talked about both of those spots are going to be critical. Um, I feel pretty good about safety. I think Bowman and Key Lawrence are going to be the guys there, but there's some good talent behind them. I think the most critical um, position battles are both corners and nickel. That's that's to me where. You know, there's there's so much that makes or breaks you at those spots. Corner, he said they may play eight, eight corners. So, you know, if you got eight corners, you definitely don't have two um, is one way to say that. But I think it's really a good thing because I think there's plenty of good talent there, uh, whether it's transfer guys or guys that uh, now have some, some tenure there like Woody Washington, uh, you know, I, I think there's good talent, but who's going to win those roles? This defense is going to be different than the previous defense. Previous defense, we played, you know, a ton of cover three and a ton of cover one, man-to-man and cover three. There's going to be way less man-to-man, way more zone. So what that does is it kind of takes away the, you know, when you play man-to-man, Who's got length? Who's got athleticism? Who can run like hell? Who can compete? When you play zone, who can think, right? Who are the smartest guys? Who under, who understands route combinations, down and distance, wide receiver splits, uh, how we're playing certain route combinations? What am I getting off of this release versus that release? Um, you know, just it's it's a little bit different now. Obviously, you always want the most athletic guys, but playing more zone leaves the window open for some of the guys that maybe don't have the athletic skills but can think it and can make plays and be in the right spot and uh, and, and get interceptions. And 
the other thing that's going to be important, tackling. Tackling. When you're in zone, you're in the fit. A lot of times you're required to be in the fit for the running game, uh, for the screen game, and you've got to be able to tackle. I think tackling is going to be critical for that position battle as well. Yeah. And I, if if spring practice is any indication, uh, there will be plenty of tackling oh, yeah. when when they're in full pads. So they'll uh, they'll have a pretty good understanding of what corners want to come up and make some plays. But yeah, man, I I feel really good about Woody Washington being one of those two guys. Mm-hmm. Just from hearing BV talk about him after spring ball, talk about his level of consistency. But I think that other spot is. That and the nickel spot are are wide open. I will say this. I I really I really appreciate what Justin Broyles brings to the team. I do. Leadership. The guy cares, right? Which is important. And they brought him to Big 12 Media Day. He was there. So that that meant something to me, but I feel like we know what his ceiling as a player is. So can someone that maybe has some more physical tools get on the field in front of him? And, and what? how does that change the ceiling of the defense? I, I don't know, but I, I know he's reliable. He's a good leader and all those things. I'm not trying to say, hey, don't let that guy play. No, 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 he deserves to play. But there are guys on this roster that have more length and more athleticism Will those guys be trustworthy enough for BV to put them on the field? Harrington. Harrington. Please get your get get your stuff right. Had he's had a good summer, had a good spring. He's competing at the nickel spot. Incredibly athletic, incredibly explosive. If he can get that spot down, look out look out because you all of a sudden go from um a guy at nickel like and just like you said i a lot of respect for broils that he does a lot of things well but he's he's not that big not that fast not that explosive he's in the right place he does the right things and in 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 that's what you have to have it's more important to have guys that are in the right place than great athletes that get you beat. But if Harrington could could ever pull it together and be able to match what Broyles can do mentally, it it's an absolute game changer. And back to style of defense. Nickel previously incredibly difficult. Why? A lot of man to man. A lot of man to man means you're you're covering that slot receiver which is usually a guy like Mims Fastest guy on the field, quickest guy on the field, uh, targeted for a lot of stuff, a lot of route combinations to try and get that guy open to get first downs. That's really tough. Zone, not nearly as tough. Beat the shit out of him on the line of scrimmage whenever he comes off. Use your size. Release him if 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 you're releasing the seam. Like there's there's a way more tools at your advantage there if you're playing zone with the nickel instead of man to man. Yeah, and. Not even to mention, you know, with the with the zone pressure stuff that BV likes, mm-hmm. that that nickel can become become a serious weapon in the blitz game. So six, in in Harrington six three two ten two fifteen. Yeah. So we'll see. 
You got anything else? Defensive um, questions. I I really I think the defensive line's going to be I, the only real question I have there is what Jalen Redmond do we get? Right. Because I feel good about the rotational guys. I feel good about Jordan Kelly. I we know what we're going to get from Ellerson and uh, or Ellison and Roberson. Um, if we get Jalen Redmond, like healthy, explosive, engaged, consistent, it's a game changer. Like we have, if if we get him at that level, we have a chance to have the best defensive line in the Big Twelve. With where I think Downs is going to be, with where I think Stripling is is going to be, if you add an interior guy like Redmond, that is just you know flying off the ball, causing all kinds of disruption on the inside, that turns into a hell of a combination. But the problem has been with Jalen Redmond, you can't you, you can't um, uh, lean on him to be there every single game, every single practice, down in, down out. Uh, there's been a lot of injury there. There's been uh, taking snaps off and time off, and then there's been explosive moments. But if he can bring those explosive moments and, and turn into a consistent football player, it really unlocks the potential of this defense. I completely agree. Uh, the only the only other question I have is on the defensive side: what transfer will have the biggest impact? You know wh- whether that's you know, we, there's a lot of them, right? Jeffrey Johnson, Jonah Laulu, TD Roof, CJ Colton, Trey Morrison, uh, Kenai Walker. Yeah, all those guys aren't going to be play significant roles, in my opinion. But who of that group, or uh, what? I mean, maybe it's a couple guys. Who out of that group are we going to be talking about after training camp? Going, okay, yeah. This guy's going to be a playmaker. This guy's going to have a significant role. I I assume Jeffrey Johnson's going to be, you know, right in the middle of the rotation there, the defensive line. Um, uh, TD Roof is reliable. We don't know much about CJ Colden, right? Morrison did some good things in the spring. Walker did some good things in the spring, but training camp's a different animal, man. So I'm I'm interested to see which transfer on the defensive side has the biggest impact. Well, if he can play like he looks, it's Kanai Walker. No kidding. That <laughs> looks incredible. He is he is a physical specimen, and he's done some really good things. He's super strong, competitive, uh, tough as hell. He's got some attitude to him. Um, I think he's he's got a great upside. Um, TD Roof, I, you know, he's a guy like you said you could trust limited by some size and athleticism stuff. But again, you'd rather have a guy out there that is always in the right place, always making the play that he's supposed to, can get everyone lined up, can get everything communicated. That's TD Roof. He'll do that every single day for you. So it's good to have that that consistency and that veteran leadership there from a guy like TD Roof. And I'm with you. I think, I think Jeff Johnson's going to – I think he's going to – fit into the defensive line rotation and and be a consistent guy. He's not he's he's not going to turn into Jalen Redmond though. No. Right? You know, he, does, I, he doesn't have the physical talent he's got. It's just right. nothing wrong with saying that. Right. So um but if you got a rotation of good consistent defensive linemen, 
It's what you need. Absolutely. All right. Let's get to birthday shout outs. Happy 13th birthday to Campbell Smith. Happy 37th birthday to Brand B Brand B Dub Wheeler. I'm guessing I forgot to type Brandon. I'm guessing that okay. was supposed to be Brandon B Dub Wheeler. Sorry, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Happy birthday, B Dub. Or is it supposed to be Brad B Dub Wheeler? I don't know. This will be a treat for Brandon or Brad. B Dub, my man. My is apologies. It, um was it Brand? Was that the guy's name in the Big Lebowski or was it Brant? Maybe it was Brant. <laughs> Happy 37th birthday to Jenna Lutz. Happy 39th birthday to Will Miller. Happy 40th birthday to Allison Goodnight. Happy 45th birthday to Jamal Frisbee. Happy 50th birthday to Tori Crawford. Happy 60th birthday to Lloyd Whittlesey. Nailed it. <laughs> Happy birthday to Matthew Ott. Happy 22nd anniversary to DeWitt and Amanda Smith. DeWitt? DeWitt. I'm going DeWitt, DeWitt and Amanda Smith. DeWitt and Amanda <laughs> Smith. Yeah, it's their um, anniversary. They'll be doing it. So uh, Nice. Nice. All right. Hey, we've got an awesome interview with West Virginia head coach Neil Brown. But first... The only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Amore. That coffee is fantastic. Love's also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Loves Travel Stops. For a full list of what Loves has to offer, visit loves.com. And Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. It's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. Make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available. All right, here he is. Here's Neil Brown. It is our pleasure to be joined by the head football coach of the West Virginia Mountaineers. He has also taken quite the liking to giving me a bunch of shit every time he sees me in person. <laughs> Neil Brown is in the house. What's going on, man? Gabe, I'm good. I mean, here's the thing. It's, sometimes it's an easy target. Like at media days when you wear Rolexes, it's an easy target. 
just can't hide it. You just can't, can't, can't hide it. You can't hide money. And the <laughs> other thing too is, he, I don't know if he told you, Teddy, but like the whole the whole radio crew wore the same like shirts. Ah, matching, huh? That's nice. We, I wore. I did not wear the same shirt. Gucci I, shirts sh- across for the radio crew. No, we just one one other guy had a shirt on that also had like a floral pattern, and I was wearing just like a floral G four golf shirt. It was a it very looked, reasonable shirt selection. It looked coordinated. <laughs> and I don't even I'm sure where you buy these shirts. <laughs> Honestly, I think that was Man, a gift from my mother in law. <laughs> No, I appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. I, well, you are one of my favorite guys when it comes to talking about the state of college football right now. And I, I know that this answer is probably going to go a lot of different directions, but what is it like being a head football coach right now in college football? <laughs> is this what you want to talk about the whole, like the whole, for the whole podcast? Uh, <laughs> um you got to be able to adjust on the fly. You know, I'm talking about since March of 2020 is our whole business for so long was based on routine and a rhythm. And you knew what was, you know, in January, you had the AFCA convention, you had official visits, first weekend was signing day, then you start your winter program. And, and this was the way it was. And now it's there's so many things that have changed in the last two and a half years that there's no constants anymore. And so you have to have you've got to make plans. You got to still be able to plan and prepare, but you can't be rigid and and you've got to be able to go with the flow and not only go with it, you, you can't be rattled and you can't whether it's conference realignment, whether it's name image likeness, whether it's a transfer, whatever it is, it's like you got to be able to attack it head on and cannot be rattled. And so I know that's a kind of a, a quick answer, but there's just there there's a lot of things that are happening right now in our business. I think you're right. You you have to, you know, change is tough and sometimes maybe it's not even for the better, but you have to embrace it or at least give the impression that you've embraced it and you're going to own it and you're going to try and make an, an advantage for your program as you move on. But are these things, because a lot of it's been made that this is for, you know, the betterment of the student athlete. Do you think that these transfer portal NIL stuff is, do you think that those are actually better for the players? Well, I'll, I'll even take it back. Here, here's where we're at. We're, we're in a huge phase of player empowerment, and it's a direct result of leadership in college football turning a total blind eye of the world changing. Um, when the TV money got so big, an easy solution was just to share revenue. <laughs> I mean, literally. We could stay on the really kind of the current, the the old model, share revenue, give the players a piece of it, which they deserve, and we wouldn't have this um, onslaught of just change that's happening. And so, it probably could have been avoided if you just let guys sign autographs, you, you know? sell their jerseys, sell their jerseys. It could have. It, it, here's the thing: share revenue, 
and get rid of the three-year rule where you had to wait three years to play in the NFL. If those two things would have been adjusted, then we wouldn't be in the mess we're in right now. But that's hindsight because we fell asleep at the wheel. Like we just um, – the world was changing in, in, in college athletics, in particular college football, just did not change. And so here we are, we're in a, we're in a period of time where the change is so is happening so fast that the people in charge are having a hard time keeping up. And so is it good for the players? Like, let's think about this, all right? So name, image, likeness, is that good for the players? Absolutely. It, it is. But without boundaries, not sure. You know, um, I, I read an article not too long ago about Sebastian Telfair. If y'all remember, um, Sebastian. Oh yeah, Telfair. he put he played for the Oklahoma City Thunder for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and so Sebastian Telfair was the phenom, right? Comes right out like he's he signs this huge multi million dollar um, shoe deal at like eighteen years old, and he was looking back in retrospect, and he said like that was one of the biggest mistakes he ever you know or not mistakes, but one of the things that really stunted him because he didn't know how to handle it. He wasn't prepared how to handle that, you know, that success, the money. Um, and I get it at 18, I wouldn't be able to handle that, you know? And, um, and so name image likeness, does that help us? Yes, but we gotta, there's gotta be some, some boundaries on it. And the, and the issue with that is that's such a complicated issue. There's only one governing body that can really get it right. And that's Congress. And if you haven't been watching, it takes a little, it takes a little time to get anything done there. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, is the transfer portal um, pro student athlete? Um, I would say maybe one it is, you know, I think that we've got to really look hard at certain times of the year. It's not, it's not pro student athlete if it's open 365, because it doesn't, it doesn't help you overcome some, some things. Um, but should they have the option? Yes, I, I, I think that's probably fair. Uh, the multiple year deal, that's hard. I don't, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's best. Um, you know, I think the waiver process after one is a little because every situation is not the exact same. So I don't want to be here and going, you should only be able to transfer once. Uh, there could be some extenuating circumstances, you know, it could be a coaching change. It could be an ill parent. It could be. But. You know, I think one's fair. I think second one, I, I would agree with the waiver. Um, you know, some of the other things, like, um, I think those are real discussions about health care and some things like that. I think those are some real discussions that need to be need to be had. I think a lot of this, and I think even Gabe talked about this at Media Days, is like there's got to be somebody in charge. And so, you know, most people in their profession – like have people that they're directly answer to. So for here, Shane Lyons, our athletic director, Gordon Gee is our president. And man, that's, I, I have no, there's no gray area on who my bosses are. Well, who's the boss of college football? There's not one. So if you don't have, if you don't have leadership, if you don't have direction, if you don't have a commissioner that says, hey, this is what it is, this is the penalties, then what do you have? You've got a bunch of independent leaders in conferences, and that's it. And I just think of any huge revenue business, like what other business does have a leader? It doesn't have anybody that's in charge. 
I mean, I'm asking, do y'all have anybody that's, I mean, think about it. I don't, I don't know of a, another major revenue um, generator like college football that doesn't have leadership. I don't think, I don't think that exists other I, than I, college football. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Like I, you know, like Amazon, they got a leader. <laughs> you know, they generate a lot of revenue. They got a leader, you know, they got a CEO, they got a, they got a board. They've got, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a, you know, CEO is going to answer to people and things like that. You know, I mean, but college football, we got nothing. There's no central centralized leader. And until we figure that out, until we figure out the leadership structure, then we're going to continue to have, uh, continue to have issues. So, and I know it's hard to predict the future, but right. We, with OU in Texas, making the move to the SEC eventually, uh, with USC and UCLA, both going to be Big Ten schools, right? Like, wait, you're a guy that always is forward thinking. Where do you think this ends up, man? Well, I think that you're gonna you're gonna see a um, a conference structure that looks different. You know, I can see it easily going to four, maybe even three. Um, you know, I think that. At some point, I don't know what the time frame on it is, but there's going to be a, a clear division, you know, whether that's 60 schools, whether that's 70 schools, whatever it is, there's going to be a clear uh, division. And it's not going to be 131 Division One teams. Like the Division One structure is going to be different. Um, but then it goes to, okay, again, it goes back to the leadership or the governance, who governs those 60 or 70 schools. But it's 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 definitely going to change. Um, everybody likes to throw out this like employee, and, and from a legal standpoint, like they're like the players are never going to be employees. Um, and but there's there, the model is going to be different than it is right now. It's not going to be, in my opinion, in the future. Uh, how many years I don't know, but it's not going to be where hey, it's a full scholarship and that's it. And there's going to be. Um, you know, some, some revenue sharing at some point, I believe. And that's just me that, to me and sitting here in Morgantown, West Virginia, just saying, Hey, I can see this happening in the, in the future. How's all this affected recruiting is used to, you had your, you know, you, you had your areas that you hit, you, you kind of knew what your selling points were, but now with transfer situations with NIL, with, uh, conference realignment happening right now where does that leave like your recruiting just like your your plan moving forward on how you do things well I think that the first thing is is you're no longer sitting there thinking uh, four and five years in advance you're building teams you know and that's a college basketball has probably been doing this for the last two years um maybe last year, but for sure this year in college football, that's, and that's going to be the model moving forward. We got 33 new scholarship players that came in our program this summer. And so, and you add another 15 to 20 walk-ons, you're talking about, we've got close to 50 of our 120 players are going to be, didn't go through spring. You know, that's, and so like, it's challenging every you know, because you think about guys when you all played, you had winter workouts, and that's where you really kind of grew your leadership. And you're like, you had some shared sacrifices. Then you went to spring ball, 
And that's really where you you want a job. And then there'll be the rare late transfer or the rare true freshman that come in and make his way through fall camp and they would play. But in winter and in spring ball, you really kind of grew your team. You, then you went through summer workouts, got in shape for fall camp. And that's a totally different model now. You, and you think what I just said, 33, we got 33 new guys. And we're not, it's not like we're a unicorn in that. You know what I mean? There's a bunch of teams that are just like us. And so now, you know, your winter in your spring, there's, there's, it's, it's not necessarily deciding jobs or deciding your leadership. It like it used to be your summer. Now is way more important. And then your fall camp, you got way more position battles in fall camp than you've ever had. And then from a recruiting standpoint, what it does is, is you've got this balancing act of, okay, is portal compared to high school recruiting. And then in high school recruiting, like how how many of these developmental types do you need do you do you need to invest in? And then your transfer portal, what's your niche? You know what? Because I think you know every school's niche is going to be a little bit different. So, what is your niche? And so the recruiting has completely changed. And and the other thing about recruiting now is it used to be such area focused, and now what you're seeing more is more positionally focused because of the ability to transfer. And so you've got to have a really good relationship with your position players. And so you've got to start that two years in the recruiting process now, you know, and, but it's completely changed. And then you won't have a recruit that does not ask about name, image, and likeness. There's not one guy that comes through my office that the kid or the, or the guardian or the parent or the coach doesn't ask about name, image, and likeness. And for us to act like kids aren't making decisions is partly because of that is, is a joke to me because that's just, that's not the world we're living in. It, it comes up. Now, is it more important to some than others? Absolutely. But everybody's asking about it. That's interesting. I, I feel like I could talk to you all day about this stuff, but I do want to talk about your football team a little bit. And most notably week one, Right. The backyard brawl is back. West Virginia Pitt, And I'm sure you wish it was at home and not there in Pittsburgh, but just how cool is it to have that game back? And, and how cool is it? Is that, that you're starting your season that way? Well, you talk about a game that means a lot to our fans. It's this game. And we've got songs like just that, that our crowd, it doesn't matter. They'll break it out. Uh, I've heard them at Little League softball games, like breakout songs about Pitt. I mean, so it's a legit rival. Like our fans are are excited. They're fired up about, about this game, you know, and um, we've had to educate our players. And I'm sure Pitt has too. It's been 11 years since this game was played. Um, we, we recruit from a, from a large area. Um, and so it's been fun to bring back some of the greats, like talking to Mark Bulger um, a couple weeks ago about what this game, he's from Pitt and played at West Virginia, right? What this game means to him. Um, having a conversation with Jeff Hostetler a couple of days ago about his memories and getting him to share. Um, listen to Coach Neyland talk about this game and, and how, how intense it was during his tenure. And so this is a game that, you know, we used to be 
at, at West Virginia, we used to be one of the few schools that was kind of geographic outlier conference wise. Now that's changed, but we still are, are a little bit more East than most of the teams we play. And so I really feel strongly that we should play a regional rivalry. Now we have two in Virginia tech and Pitt. I don't necessarily like playing two because now we're playing 11 power fives and it's from a competitive standpoint, that's not what everybody else is doing. You know, where everybody else is playing two G fives and FCS, we're playing two power fives and, from a competitive standpoint, you know, what we're doing is not the same as what other teams in our league are doing. But I think it's really important to play a regional rivalry. Like we play Virginia Tech here, which is another rival of ours. And in my office overlooks a stadium. So that's when I'm pointing, that's what I'm doing. But our field right here, that Saturday when we play Virginia Tech, electric, electric. And that when we go up and play in Pittsburgh, I'm going to say Heinz Field. I know it's not that anymore. I don't even know. Acrisure. Is that yeah. right? That's right. Yeah. So whenever we go up there, um, you know, our fans will have a big turnout and that's going to be an electric atmosphere. And when they come back week two and in 23, it, it's going to be electric. So it's a fun game. It's given us something to point to really going back. Um, in, in all summer and, and during spring ball, we've really pointed to this game because you can't ease into it. Is like Pitt's going to be top 12, top 15 team in the country. They're defending ACC champions. They're going to be ready to go, and we better be at our best uh, to have an opportunity to win there. Quarterback's going to be a big factor for you guys this season. And, you know, everyone knows you got the big transfer in, JT Daniels. Uh, what's the biggest key for him? And I think it's interesting, like how you said, almost 50 new guys. I, how hard is it for a new quarterback through the portal and a bunch of other guys coming in to try and get that chemistry and that leadership and stuff like that moving forward? Well, we've, we've been um, intentional this summer about working those things, you know, more um, chemistry, more kind of uh, shared sacrifices and things like that during the summer. So we've been intentional about that. Um, this is not a new system to, to JT. So JT played in this system um, in his second year at USC. He knows Graham Harrell, our offensive coordinator. They have a they have a relationship since then. Um, he was able to study once he once he made his decision. He was able to study our system. He's been here since May, uh, so knowing what to do is not going to be an issue. They've thrown a lot this summer, um, and so I think he'll have good enough timing. He's got to go into camp and win the job. And then the most important thing for him is staying healthy. And if you look at his body of work, and, and people forget this, like his story, he goes to uh, plays in one of the most prestigious high school programs in the country, starts as a, a freshman there, graduates an entire year early, like some of these basketball players do. He graduates the entire year early, okay, ahead of his class, Goes to USC and starts. He's starting quarterback at 17 years old at USC as a, as a true freshman, which really should have been his high school senior year. They have a good year. I mean, a pretty good year. They go to bowl game. He wins the job. Going into year two, tears an ACL first game. So misses that year. Goes to Georgia. Okay, ACL takes a little bit longer. But then he starts the last four or five games of Georgia's what uh, the COVID year. Goes and has a huge comeback win against Cincinnati in the Peach Bowl. Wins the job, is the starter, is undefeated. He's never lost a game he started at Georgia. And so, and then he got hurt. You know, so his deal has been, when he's when he's been healthy, he's played at a really high level. 
but he's got to stay healthy. And, and, and he knows that. And, and that's going to be the key for him this year. And one of the main keys to keeping him healthy is the offensive line. And you, you know, I have to ask you about it. Like the offensive tackle position in particular, I thought was a weakness for you guys last year, but you were playing young guys mm-hmm. and getting baptized by fire last season um, with Yates, Milam, you feel, how do you feel about that group as a whole heading into the season? So Milam, we switched to left tackle and, you know, he started last year, uh, our last nine games as a, as an 18 year old. And you know, this offensive line is the hardest position to play as a true freshman and a spe- and tackle is the most difficult because you're on an Island and you're playing against some of the like freak athletes. You're talking about guys that are six three, six four, that are running four five, four six forties, that thirty five plus verticals. I mean, these are freak athletes. It's the we're asking our our in our offensive lineman the best. So you're asking a guy that is you know in that six four to six six range in three hundred to three twenty range. That most of them, if you went and played basketball, they'd be post up centers. Okay. And so, and if you were in most defensive ends or edge rushers are, are some, <clears throat> excuse me, small forward. Well, most coaches, basketball coaches don't go say, all right, let's, uh, we're going to play man to man. And I want my center, my five guy, you got the three man to man. No, but no, no coach is going to ask you to do that. But in football, like you're essentially, asking the five, which is a tackle, center in basketball, to go block an edge guy that's a small forward that we're going to play on the perimeter in basketball. He's got to block him. That's a, that's, a, that's a tough match. And so he went and did, you know, I think if you look at it, it's all about the lens you look through it. Um, if you were thinking, if, if you're looking at how Wyatt played last year, he played right tackle last year. Uh, if you look at it through the lens that he was 18 years old, and he went to high school here in West Virginia, and he played – he started nine games. Uh, that was pretty impressive what he did. Okay. If you look at through the lens of, you know, did he make some mistakes? Did he get beat some? Yeah. Okay. I, that That's fair. But I'll say this. Like, why am I going to be an NFL player? You know, like he's a kid. He'll make an all-conference team this year. And so – like the least of my concerns is how Wyatt Milan's going to play at left tackle. You know, at left tackle, Wyatt Milan's going to be an NFL player. You know, I know you like our center, Zach Frazier, a lot and feel really good. We got to, we got to, we got to secure the right tackle spot. We're going to have a competition there. feel like we've got two um, good candidates. Brandon Yates has started a lot of games for us. Jaquay Hubbard, Brandon was, was injured a little bit in the spring. Jaquay Hubbard's really came on. He's got really good length. Um, we got a solid interior backup in Jordan White. So we feel good about about um, seven guys. We got to get a little depth here in fall camp. But that's a group now across the board that started a lot of football games. And we've had to build this. When we got here, this this offensive line was not in a good – the room was not in good shape. We had very few guys that were capable of playing at the level that you need to play at in this league. And we made the decision we went young. In 19, we were we were below average, far below average. In 20, we were below average but improved. Last year, we were about average. And, and what I mean by that is when we played against people that were 
were average to below average, we, we won those battles. We played against people above average. We usually lost those battles. And so now the challenge is, is we got to play above average. For us to take the next step offensively, for us to take the next step as a team, it's like our offensive line has got to play above average. And they have the experience and the talent. And, and so we're more than capable, but you got to go out and do it. Yeah, and whenever you look at the conference, um, you know, as you kind of talked about that progression, the average has changed. Uh, whenever you look at these defenses in this conference, Iowa State, what they've done, what Baylor's now done, Oklahoma State and the defensive line that they've had and what they have coming back, Oklahoma is about to take a, a big step forward. Just what do you think about the way that this conference has kind of morphed and changed over the years? Yeah, I think that a lot of times we start talking about, you know, everything's about conferences right now, right? And let's not get confused about the number of dollars that you're bringing in because of TV, because your television market, and then actually what happens on the field. Like, those are two totally different aspects. So everybody says, oh, the SEC and Big Ten because they're getting these future contracts. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, are they going to earn some more money than everybody else? Yeah, it looks like it. But is their product better than what we're putting out? You know, because you look at it, like our league, defensively, people are getting after people's ass. I mean, you look at, like, the last two years, you'll look at the stats and then look at the bowl games when the Big 12 is playing against some of these other teams, and they're handling them pretty well. And this perception that's been out there forever, because I was an offense coordinator at Texas Tech, 10, 11, and 12. And so during that time, this league uh, defensively, Outside of one or two programs, you know, Oklahoma was playing uh, good defense. You know, Texas was was up and down. But there wasn't a whole lot of really good defense being played. Like, we've done a 180. Like, you mentioned that. Look at Oklahoma State the last three years defensively. Look at Baylor last year. Oklahoma's been much improved. Iowa State. Iowa State's changed how teams in the NFL play defense because they were they were innovative. You know what I mean? Like, there are some teams playing defense at an extremely and, high level. And you guys, right? I mean, that 2020 yeah, defense of y'all's yeah, was the last the legit. last last two years. Yeah, the last two years. Like we've we've played defense at a at a high level and we'll continue to do that. But this league on the field, like you can talk about revenue and all that kind of whatever you want to talk about, but on the field, the 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 quality of play is extremely high. We uh, we and our league hurts ourselves because we all play everybody and there's there's just not a, a huge difference between between the the whole league and so because we're playing nine conference games because there's there's some there's some parity where there's not a huge difference then we end up beating up on each other a little bit yeah there's no doubt now there there are a lot of OU fans that listen to this podcast believe it or not Neil and they like you guys? <laughs> Apparently. Sometimes. <laughs> we, yeah, that's sometimes. That's the best way to answer that. But what have you had any – I know that back when you were the coordinator at Tech, Venables was the defense coordinator there at OU, but what what do you think of that hire for Oklahoma? And just what do you kind of think of, of Venables and just how, how he could – his style could translate to being a head coach? Well, so – my reaction to that was, ah, man, I was hoping they wouldn't hire somebody as good. But in my head, I knew this, is Josie is as good as anybody in the business. And when that job came open, um, I don't know, he probably was surprised. 
But you look at his, who he's hired, not only in football, but you look across the board in every sport, is it, it's really impressive. And I and I mean this. Like I think he's as like impre- he's as impressive to me as a administrator as anybody in college athletics. And that that was the the perfect guy. I actually told my wife, Lincoln and I are friends, and um, and so I, I I forget where I was, and that came out, and Brooke and I, my wife, were riding the car. She said something about um, Lincoln leaving. And and I, and she said something. Who do you think they'll hire? And I said, Well, my first call would be to Venables. Um, I hope they don't, but that would be my first call. And uh, so I, I just think that he's impressive to me. Like I think he's. Uh, you just talk from a professional standpoint. Uh, I got to know him when I was a coordinator at Tech and and recruiting Dallas area, and he recruited the Dallas area, um, and so. And then when I was head coach at Troy, made some trips to Clemson, and so got to know him a little bit. We had a one of the safeties coach at, at Oklahoma now, Brandon Hall. Uh, Brandon worked for us at Troy and did a great job, great job. Um, and he was he he was with with Brent for a long time and um, and got to really know how he worked. And so for me, I've got a ton of respect for him. He's got great energy. He's a great recruiter one of the top defensive minds in the country. Um, he's got the rare ability to be able to coach kids hard and they still like him. You know, that's really difficult. You know, it's a really difficult balance. Um, you know, there's <laughs> like when you, when you, there's a, there's a big jump. Any, anybody, even somebody that's been uh, a high level, elite level coordinator for as long as he is, there's always a, a little bit of a um, getting used to being the head coach. But he's been around phenomenal people. There's probably no coach that's been hired in the last 20 years that's that's more ready than he is. And so I think it's a great hire. Uh, he'll do really, really well there. Um, and um, that's my pro use statement. I like it. Thank you for I, your service. Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew. Hey, listen, all you listeners, before we get on here, I said, all right. I said, I'm game as long as this is not an OU infomercial. So, like, um, it's uh, – no, nah, but I do think – I like I like uh, Venables a lot. I think he's going to do a really good job. And uh, it's uh, – that's kind of that's how I see it. Well, I was going to jump back to something on this next question. And you kind of tied something into it there whenever you were talking about Venables and you said that, you know, he's able to coach his players hard and, you know, they still like him. Well, they don't at first, right? They hate him at first because of how yeah, hard personal, is that personal experience? That, that's personal experience. <laughs> it, it takes a while to, to climb out of that, that hole of misery, okay? So whenever you look at like, like the, the transfer stuff that we were talking about earlier, like how hard – have you noticed a difference in development? Like Because there used to be you come in, you're red shirt. And then, you know, freshman, sophomore, you're kind of developmental. And then as a junior, finally everything clicks. You, you earn your way on the field. And by that time, you understand the scheme. You understand the staff. Like, you, you, you understand the game. You've gathered a bunch of experience. And you're kind of off on your way. And now it feels like you start off early. 
if you're not on the field, you start looking around, maybe I'll go somewhere else and try and learn a new scheme. And I, how much work is there on your, on yourself, like on the actual player, or is it just going around to a place where they like what I can do right now and I can be plugged into a system? You have to be, retention has to be at the forefront and you have to understand that you're not going to keep them all. And so you got to focus on the ones that are the best fit for your program and the guys that are going to be able to um, fit your culture and be able to play the best for you on the field. And Is there pressure of, to play guys before they're ready maybe? So here's the thing. Like I don't think you can play them before you're ready because um, – and I'm talking about in major roles. But you got to figure out roles for guys that you want to have a future in your program. you got to find roles for them early on. And maybe that's not to be a starter. Maybe that's not to play in the fourth quarter. But you got to find roles that keeps them engaged. Um, and that's something that that is a daily topic here is, okay, hey, retention, remember, like that was probably never a word that was used in college football until the last three years. But you got you got to focus on it. The days where you redshirt a, a big group of guys, that's over. You know, that's over. You know, the you're going to see O-linemen and D-linemen, interior D-linemen and O-linemen, that's going to be the main group that's that's redshirt. And everybody else is going to have to figure out a role to play. And and whether it's special teams or sub packages on defense or using different personnel groupings on offense to get some guys in, like you have to think that way. And I think the other thing too, is like how you coach on the field is how you coach on the field, but how you handle yourself um, off the field, you like, I think most coaches, the ones that are doing it at a high, or at a high level have, have had to adjust because you've had to listen more. You had to keep your ears open. You had to work the the support areas a little bit more just because – and you got to be real conscious of bringing kids back. If you coach them, like, you can't let anybody below your standards because you're really letting them down and you lose your whole culture of your program. But if you got to make corrections, if you got to discipline somebody and you want them to stay around, you want to retain them, man, you got to bring them back. And and you got you to have a real pulse on everything that's going on. Yeah, that's that's interesting. All right, one more and we'll let you get out of here, man. We've already kept you way too long. There there's this the sense out there that you're on the hot seat this season, right? Do you think those people know that you signed an extension after 2020? Do you think they have any idea? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's open record. You can find it. You can find it. Here's do, what I, do you see that stuff? Like, does that stuff, does that affect you in any way? Cause uh, I mean, clearly, you know, all of that stuff is out there. You're exposed to all of it. Does that. Yo, I, I see it. Like, let's not like, I see it. Um, I don't feel any of that from anybody that matters. You know, I think sometimes it's, it's lazy. Uh, I don't know if journalism is the right word, but you know, not doing your research. You know, I do. I have a six-year contract. It just flipped over. I mean, we got five years left on it. Um, you know, and this is the way I think about it. Um, so the question is, does it bother me? The answer would be no. Um, and as mature, mature, like just thinking about things in a different manner is like, what's your measure of success? Well, I think like that that's something that's really kind of a deep question. Like, what is your what's your measure of success? And so like my measure for success is kind of with a with an infinite mindset and and what i mean by that is is to me is it's it's leaving 
a place, you know, infrastructure wise, facility wise, um, program, people better than you found it. And so that's to me is, and I feel really good about what we've been able to do. And like, like we've been average, you know, the record's exactly down the middle. It is what it is. Like, I'm not trying to hide from that. Um, but there's, there's been some growth, you know, and we lost a couple games before our bye week last year that we probably shouldn't have lost. Um, but we're not, we haven't, you know, from where we've been in the program for the three years, like other than that, there's not a whole lot of games that could have gone either way, uh, Gabe. And so when I look at kind of where we've been doing here for three years and, and through a pandemic, through transfer portal, all that kind of stuff is our facilities are much improved now. We went from nine or 10 in every aspect of the Big 12 to now from a facility standpoint outside of our press box and premium seating within our stadium, we're probably in the top three or four. Um, more importantly, the infrastructure of our program and what I mean is our support areas is we were nine or 10 again in, in everything from a support area standpoint. Now we're in the top, you know, three or four. We're not one, but what I mean by that is we've got a full-time sports psychologist that's in the building every day. You know, our academic staff is grown, and especially with learning, um, you know, people that, that uh, learning specialist. We've got two nutritionists now to serve our program. We've got um, in the process of hiring a, an executive chef. Uh, we've got a full athletic training staff. We've got a full strength staff. We've got all these recovery opportunities for our student athletes. So the infrastructure in our program after three years is just now at a point where we can be considered in the top half of our league for these things, right? And so now it's about going out and and being um, and getting more wins, you know. So um, do I hear that? Yeah, I hear it. Is it something that keeps me up at night? No. Um, I promise you there's more internal pressure than there is external pressure at all times. Um, but the way I look at it is, again, with that infinite mindset is, hey, we're going to leave things better than we found it and, and have no – there's not a question in my mind that that's going to be the case. Should hire Gabe as a wardrobe specialist. Floral shirts and Rolexes for everyone. Yeah. Hey, you got the Oak City going, huh? Yeah. Let me know if you want some Oklahoma City gear. I can get you as much as you need, man. <laughs> no, I just give me give me good Thunder tickets next time I come in town for softball. That's all I need. I hey, you have my word. I can I can make that happen. Neil, you're the man. Appreciate the time, and hey, we'll see you November 12th. Guys, appreciate it, man. Y'all have a good one. Man, I I won't lie. I am I'm rooting for Neil Brown. I like him. He's good. It's it's going to be interesting to see how how JT Daniels does. Uh, you know, he, he spoke very highly of him. You know, talked about uh, – like how how difficult his road has kind of been, but the, some of the successes that have been there. So, yeah, I, if you get Graham Harrell and JT Daniels clicking and he stays healthy, that could could be a big offense. They have had offensive problems over the years. Defensively, 
been pretty good. Offense has, has been an issue. This could unlock their their potential there. Yeah, will be interesting. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first, it's time to get back out on the golf course, people, and there's nothing better to drink on the course than the number one seltzer in golf, Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that is already winning national awards because their product is delicious and it tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. They're not just for the golf course either. They're perfect to drink by the pool after mowing the lawn, whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet, go grab some. You won't regret it. The variety pack is out. To find a place near you that has Clubbies, visit clubbyseltzers.com. And attention business owners. You need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by voting loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Are you looking to buy or sell a house in the OKC metro area? Use the Ranallo Cloud Group. Stacia Ranallo and Maddie Cloud are with Sage Sotheby's International Realty. They believe in prompt communication, an honest relationship, and luxury service, and that's exactly what they gave Gabe. They sold a house for Gabe. They found a house for Gabe's brother. They also found a house for Lane Johnson. We can't recommend them enough. You can reach them by calling or texting Stacia at 918-671-6450, or you can contact them on Instagram at at soulbystacia and at soulbymaddie underscore. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? I, I had to go with Tiger Woods. You know, the... The number came out, Greg Norman verified it in an interview that somewhere between seven and eight hundred million dollars was the offer to Tiger Woods to come play in the LIV golf tour, which what eight tournaments this year, 14 tournaments next year, kiss some babies, shake some hands. Uh, fly on a badass private jet, you know. Oh, first of all, Tiger's not flying with anyone else, pal. No, I know. That's he's right. not getting he, – that community plane, he's going to say, no, thanks. I, I got my own ride. Don't worry about me. Yeah, his his plane has keeps that one inside of it probably. <laughs> um, yeah, $800 million, though, I to be able to turn down that type of money – is uh, you have to be in a amazing position as a uh, as a person financially emotionally like just like where you where you are with your um like do you just you have to be a- so self-confident to be like I don't no 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 I my legacy is cemented I don't need 800 million dollars Right, and it's, it's unfathomable, it's, uh, unfathomable, 
unfathomable, man. It is. It is. And the easy throwaway is, well, he's already got a ton of money. I don't care how much money you have. Whenever you are, let's say, let's face reality, basically done except for maybe I happen to catch lightning in a bottle and play four rounds above your head in a major like Tiger Woods competitively. He's never going to be a, a, a super competitive golfer on the PGA tour anymore. Too many injuries too old. So like if you're in that position, look at all the guys that have, that are still in their prime. Dustin Johnson, DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka. These guys have, have won majors and they're still in their primes, prime years rather, and they're jumping off and taking big paydays. And Tigers is like four times the size of the payday. And he really doesn't have much of a chance to win a major anymore. And he's still turning it down. That's crazy. Not crazy. That's it's impressive. And I, think, imp- I, I just wish to be that comfortable with where I sit in life to be able to do that. That I no offense, bud, but I don't think we're going to get there. I think <laughs> no. if someone's offering eight, 800 mil, we're probably going to take it, but I, and I don't want to go full layman conspiracy theory. <laughs> I have to imagine the PGA tour has come to some sort of agreement with him behind closed doors, Right. I mean, if if Tiger Woods, imagine the floodgates that that would open for the PGA Tour and their members to leave. If Tiger Woods went to live golf, imagine the guys that would follow. So I have to assume that there was some type of negotiation between Tiger Woods and the PGA Tour of like, hey, they're offering me $800 million. What are you going to do for me? Yeah, I've done so much for you. I've done so much for this game. What are you going to do for me? Because I'll be the one that said that says no thanks, and I'll tell all these other guys to say no. Because the PGA Tour is crazy if they think that a bunch of the players on the tour wouldn't follow if Tiger Woods went there. It's yeah. It's like if he did it, it makes it okay for anyone. Exactly. I'm with you, but I don't. Does the I don't know that the PGA Tour has that type of. Well, once again, just a conspiracy theory. Yeah, or they had to have guaranteed him something. The promises were made. I guarantee you that, right? Yeah. I mean, they had to have been. Yeah. Well, some type of lifetime ambassador pumping 50 million a year or something like that. Like how much did, didn't he, how much did he win for the, the social pup, media? Pip, pup. What was it called? Yeah. Yeah. The social media thing. It was a big, there's like 10 million, wasn't it? Yeah. Something like that. So I, and I'm sure they'll be able to, to sell it and may, maybe he's, maybe he's going to get in the booth. Something. I don't know. I'm just know. I'm just assuming. I could be completely right. wrong. Now, he is rich. He is comfortable with where he sits in life. 
but he's not stupid, <laughs> you know? And from everything I've read about him, he is hyper-competitive. Right. So if he, like, you're right. There's probably, like, even if he knew he wasn't going to go, you have to, like, drag that over to the other side and say, they're offering me $800 million. What do you? What can you offer me? Yeah. Exactly. Yep. I Could be wrong, but I'm just assuming. All right, who is your loser of the week? It was hard for me to, like, dial in exactly who the loser was. Is it, is it Deshaun Watson? Is it the Browns? Is it the NFL? Is it the federal, former federal judge issuing the, the ruling in the situation? I don't know who the loser is, but the whole thing is, is bad, right? I, the, the whole thing feels bad. I know that feels gross. Six games, six games feels gross. Um, felt gross whenever he had this hanging over his head and the Browns gave him what? 260 guaranteed, 240 guaranteed, 230, 230 guaranteed. Um, you thought because of the the independent nature of this that you would you would get a what you would what you would think would be a harsh punishment i and i know there's there's guidelines and there's there's like a a, a way that the 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 former judge has to issue this and you can't just like go outside and do your own thing. I mean, there's guidelines that you have to follow that are set by the NFL and the and the players association. I understand that that you have to kind of conform within that, but my goodness, six games. Whenever I'm sitting here looking at DeAndre Hopkins, who had a tiny trace amount of some like far off PED that no one uses. Nobody ever tests positive for it. I believe him. This is one of the few cases that I actually believe the guy, whenever he says he didn't take anything, I believe that he did, didn't take it. But, you know, the rules are the rules. But that's a six-game suspension. It's the same thing. It's, I don't know. I don't know. Does Does that encourage PED use? Or does that encourage sexual assault? I can't figure it out. It, the whole thing is awful, right? And this is this is kind of where I'm at with it. I am fully aware that that he was not technically charged with the crime, right? I'm fully aware that he settled in civil court with all but one of those women. That that doesn't make it right. Right, just because he's not technically a criminal and he's coming to an agreement with those women, like that doesn't make what he did he did any less terrible. And it always comes back to this for me. Playing in the National Football League is not a right. It is a privilege. You have to earn that privilege every day by the way the by the way you play and the way that you conduct yourself. And I believe 
that with what Deshaun Watson, clearly a very disturbed pattern of behavior, a predatory pattern of behavior, I believe he should have had that privilege stripped of him for longer than six games. And as we're recording this, maybe it comes out later today that Roger Goodell says it should be eight or ten, right, With, with some sort of appeal. I know the PA is not appealing it. But I know this. I'm out on Deshaun Watson. I'm out. What he did to those women, it just, it's weird, man. It's awful. It's weird. Yep. So I know that I understand Cleveland Browns fans are probably going to cheer for the guy. Saw the video at training camp, them all saying they had his back and stuff. I, I did not like the way that watching that made me feel. Right. So he may be on the field. I ain't cheering for him. And I, I feel like there's a lot of people that share that opinion with me. But yeah, you've got you've got Ridley missing an entire year for a fifteen hundred buck parlay. Meanwhile, Deshaun Watson, you know, some of these women said that you know it basically ruined their lives. They had to get out of the profession they were in because of what he did to them. And he's missing six games. Yeah. It's it's wild. The judge's decision is I didn't read it all, but I read big chunks and pieces of it. It's stupid. I to to agree with the NFL on what they're they accused him of, and then I issue the and say that like his his past. Does, like he's got a he's got a clean past like you know this isn't a he hasn't had other issues how can you say that whenever this went on for like two years that's not considered like a clean past I don't know it's full of double speak like she's mad at the NFL because of the way that the the punishments and suspensions are set up. Well, that's fine, but that really doesn't have anything to do with like this issue. I I don't know the whole the whole thing was weird to me. I thought it was I thought it was crazy. Yeah, and one thing that really bothered me about it is, you know, normally when this stuff happens, the players got to do something, right? Raise awareness or try to you know try to. I don't know if rehabilitation is the right word. But there's usually that component, like Michael Vick with the dog thing, like going out and talking about it. And maybe no one wants to hear from Deshaun Watson, but I feel like, you know, there's been no, you know, contrition. I I don't know. The only thing in there is like, oh, hey, he should only use the Browns massage therapist. It's just like, oh, my gosh. He has said the entire time that he didn't do anything wrong. So... You know, and I know that he's in a tough position because if he says that he did, I that opens him up for a whole different uh, situation when it comes to the civil stuff, right? But right. I understand he can't, but the other it thing just though is makes it feel know, worse. I know, and I don't know if this is uh, how much truth there is to this, but 
it sounds like if the NFL appeals it, then he's going to get to play right out of the gate while it's in appeal. And he will probably sue the NFL because they're not going with the the independent arbitrator or whatever, like that whole route. The Something I read like made it sound like if the NFL actually pursues it, like the appeal, like Deshaun Watson could end up playing right away and play the whole year. Now, maybe after the appeal, all that stuff makes its way through court. He serves a suspension next year, but it sounds like if, if they go that route, then he'd be able to play week one. Not Again, not sure if that's totally true, but I read something that, that was talking about that. Yeah, the only thing about it is I think Goodell could see it as an opportunity to – because they're going to lose female fans o- over this, right? I mean, they are. So maybe Goodell views it as an opportunity to maybe show – the show those female fans that this is this is a big deal so he counters you know with the appeal with something more severe i don't don't know but whole thing is gross man it's just gross yep i agree all right let's get to my winner and loser but first first fidelity bank is a full service financial institution based in oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs checking accounts saving accounts home loans and much more they do it all whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. Its big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember in 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the best-in-glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. You heard of them? This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners, yes, are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit BalconesDistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the week, thought about going with San Diego Padres fans. Their team may wear some really ugly jerseys at times. That brown and yellow, they're disgusting. But man, Juan Soto can make anything look good, man. And now the Nationals, they got a haul for Soto, but now you've got Juan Soto with Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado. San Diego Padres fans have to just be ecstatic right now. Potent lineup for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I also thought about going with the Denver Broncos. Yeah. It's got it's got nothing to do with what's going on at training camp. It has everything to do with your guy, Ted Lewis Hamilton. 
added to the new ownership group there with the Broncos. How about that? Exciting stuff. Uh, I think that's cool that, yeah, that is, um, that's really cool. I've lost track of all the names now that have, uh, been added into that ownership group. It's a, it's a star studded group. I I'm convinced that this is Denver's play to try to get an F1 race at some point. Oh, that'd be good. The Which mile would high. Be sweet. Yeah, that would be really, really cool. That'd be yeah. awesome. But, and uh, my winner of the week, and it's just because, you know, we lost him and you're seeing everyone celebrate his life. Vin Scully uh, passes away at 94. Now I'm not saying it's a good thing that the man passed away. Okay. So he's, it's, him dying is not my winner of the week. It, him being celebrated is the reason he's my winner of the week. I, I hope that's obvious. I just seeing the stuff on Twitter, uh, reading stuff from multiple outlets. The the man was just truly great at what he did. Uh, an absolute icon in the announcing world. Just an unbelievable ability to weave stories into a broadcast without taking away from what was going on on the field. Just the guy had an unbelievable gift for it. And it's just part of so many iconic moments in baseball, you know, so many world series games that he called, but you know, you think of Hank Aaron's 715th home run, uh, the bill Buckner air, right. In 1986, uh, the Gibson Kirk Gibson walk-off. That was right? great. I watched that light. 10 times yesterday. So did I. And and that's why, and we had it with Bill Russell over the weekend, right? All the stories, all the videos coming out. And now we've got it with Vin Scully. While it sucks that, you know, we're losing these legends, right? It is, it is fun to relive their greatness. And man, the guy was the Dodgers announcer for 67 seasons. Ted. It's crazy. It's insane to even fathom that. It's nuts. I mean, he started with them in Brooklyn, made the move to LA, and was part of that for 67 seasons. And I just just watching those videos and reading the stuff that people are putting out there, I don't want to get, you know, too emotional, but it 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 makes me very thankful that I get to work with guys like you and T Row. You know, good people that take a ton of pride in what they do because watching these videos, like your voice, Toby's voice, it in a weird way. I mean, you watch all the Vince Scully stuff, like the announcers end up being a part of history with the team and end up being part of the way that fans remember watching their team. It was just, it was just a good reminder reading all those. All these people, you know, talking about the sense of comfort they felt listening to Vin Scully uh, on a call. It was just, it was really, really cool. Uh, yeah, you got to think about it. For like the first 50 years uh, or the first 50 seasons, that was the main way everyone, like, why or listen, like, that's how you consumed the sport was through radio, right? I mean, you you didn't have the access to every single game on television every night. So, yeah, just a huge part of a lot of people's lives. And playing 162 games a season, like, 
the diehard fans, Vin Scully is like the soundtrack of your life, right? During the season, if you're listening to every game, it's like it's all day, every day, nonstop. Like he's he's basically basically like pounded into your brain the narration of of what you do, and you you link all of those moments to those certain periods of your life and where you were, where you lived and what you were doing and what it felt like. And it's, it's really cool. Yeah. And baseball, just from, you know, what I've heard over the years from play-by-play guys, baseball's hard. Yeah. And he just, he had an unbelievable gift to let the game breathe and not over talk and all of those things. And just, he'll be missed, man. But it was, it was cool getting to see all those people sharing those stories and the memories of him. All right. For my loser of the week, thought about going with the New York Knicks NBA, uh, starting to poke around looking into them for tampering, uh, with the Jalen Brunson free agency. And this one is, I, I mean, because Leon Rose is the team president for the Knicks, right? He was Jalen Brunson's agent. At the start of his career, he, in fact, he was Jalen Brunson's dad's agent also. And now Jalen Brunson's dad is on the Knicks coaching staff. Can it really be tampering if you're talking to your dad? I, I mean, I, I, that, that seems a bit of a stretch, but they are looking into it. And hey, if they do get punished, at least they got the guy that they were tampering with, right? They signed him. It's good. So I, it seems silly though. It is silly of all of the times whenever we know that there's tampering going on, this is the one that you choose to like publicly like go after. It's so weird. This has Cuban written all over it. I bet you he's just raising (laughs) hell with the league office. You know, he's calling every day. That's funny. But my loser of the week is a team that, uh, that tampered but didn't get either of the guys. I'm going with the Miami Dolphins, man. What uh, what are we doing? If you tamper, you better at least get one of the two guys. And they didn't get Tom Brady or Sean Payton. And so the NFL investigation into that found that they violated the anti-tampering rule three times in, I believe, a four-year period, twice with Brady, once when he was with the Patriots, another time when he was with the Bucks. And then they were talking to Sean Pay- Payton's agent uh, while he was still with the Saints. So they were tampering their asses off. And the punishment, they lose their 2023 first-round pick. They lose another third-round ra- third pick in 2024. The owner was fined $1.5 million, which is nothing for that guy. And he, he's he got to serve a suspension through the middle of October. But... Yeah, other than that, uh, the Dolphins, what what are you guys doing, man? Oh, his you're telling me his suspension is longer than Deshaun Watson's? Oh, okay. Ooh. Um I mean, I guess it is, but is it really tampering if nothing comes of it? Can you be can you be charged and punished for tampering when you're bad at it? <laughs> yeah. It's like if you cheat and lose, is it really, do, do you really need to be punished? I don't know. I guess. But if uh, the Astros would have lost that world series, would people be super mad still? 
Yeah, probably. Well, maybe. I I don't I don't know. It's 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 weird, but it's I think it's strange. I feel like there's totally there's times that they randomly pick and choose when they're gonna go after tampering and not go after tampering, right? Yeah, it's strange. Yeah, I think the fact that it has to do with Tom Brady certainly uh, brought more attention to it, and no punishment for Brady or for Peyton. And I just, I, I couldn't imagine what the reaction would have be would be if they would have like fined Brady or something for this. It would have been, I mean, because the Goodell versus Brady thing is still very much a thing. So that would have been a uh, that would have been awfully interesting. But unfortunately, out of the investigation, I mean, unfortunately for Brian Flores. Uh, is what I should say. The investigation, no proof of any incentivizing of tanking, right? Or bribing for tanking like he uh, accused the Dolphins owner of. So I know he he's probably disappointed in that, you know, the the lack of of information that was uncovered about that in that investigation. I Yeah, well, I mean, it's simple. Like, I doubt there's a, a big string of emails saying, hey, you should lose this one. 100,000 for every time you lose. Right. Um, it's interesting, though. The un- unprecedented scope and severity of the of the tampering. Yeah, that's what Goodell said. That's a quote. Hey, wh- so how does that happen? Because... If you send a couple of messages to an agent or to a coach when they're under contract somewhere else, is that unprecedented scope? Or like, if you're having conversations, like extended conversations and negotiations, okay, I would consider that a severe scope. But that's a two-way street. It can't be severe scope i unless it's both sides does that make any sense yeah uh, they weren't the dolphins weren't talking to themselves right did they send 50 unanswered text messages is that what's going on i mean you feel like if it, if it was really severe that means they were deep in deep in some type of negotiation and and that that's two to tango in my opinion yeah and the interesting thing about it Tom Brady and Sean Payton, same agent. Yeah. So little, uh, little common thread there. Mm -hmm. All right. Episode two thirty seven in the books. We'll have a new podcast. that will drop Monday morning. Just a reminder. You can hear Teddy from three to six on 94, seven, the ref. You can hear me on Sirius X and big 12 radio channel three seventy five. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have a fantastic weekend people. And until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. Would you always do, Oklahoma? Take care of each other.